0: Hi, friends. Before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that if you like what we talk about here on the Belonging Podcasts, I think you'll really love my book. It's called Root and Ritual Timeless Ways to Connect to Land, Lineage, Community, and the Self. And it is available right now wherever books are sold. It is a beautifully illustrated guide to connecting with the earth, your ancestors, and your communities as you come home to your whole self. Though we live in a radically different looking world, the needs of our bodies and spirits are the same as the ancestors we come from. I divide this book into four parts, land, lineage, community, and self, and I take you on a journey. For engaging more deeply with your life, I provide stories for my own life and I share rituals, recipes, and ancestral wisdom, journal prompts to support you on your individual and unique and sacred path. You can get more info and bonuses at rootandritualbook.com and pick it up at your favorite bookstore online or in person. Thanks for all your support. It means. The world to me. Welcome to Belonging, a podcast that explores how to come home to yourself in the age of loneliness. I'm Becca Piastrelli, your host and guide on a journey of courageous reconnection, as we explore topics like ancestral wisdom, cultivating meaningful sisterhood, living with the seasons and cycles of the earth and your body, and what it means to be a good ancestor. Welcome back to Belonging the Podcast. It's Becca Piastrelli here with you, your hostess and guide. Here with a very potent and important episode for you today. A conversation with Rachel Alaya about what it means to face an uncertain future in this time of eco-collapse, eco-side, and the grief and the anxiety that comes with it. So I should let you know You'll hear me talking about this time, this moment in time that I'm recording it, which is uh, late October 2019 and you've heard me talk about in the past, if you're a listener, about fire season. and I even asked Caitlin who supports me and supports this podcast, if I talk about fire season too much, my intros, I was like, am I starting to sound crazy?" She said to me, no, it's very it's real. it's what's up for you, it's seasonal, it's ancestral, it's all these things you talk about like Keep talking about it. I was like, okay, I'm gonna keep talking about it. Well, I just want to let you know that in the last 48 hours, there's been two major fire events where I live that have contributed to feelings of grief and anxiety that I talk through very like vulnerably and like real deal with Rachel. The first is a neighbor's house next to me caught on fire two days ago a old classic car caught fire and exploded which exploded the old classic car next to it in a garage and sending flames 20 feet in the air and um luckily the fire folk came quick and the winds were not strong yet because we are in a red flag fire warning right now which means winds are high humidity is non-existent the plants are dry and um that's when fires start, but the winds did not pick up then. So the fire was contained to the structure and all the trees above it did not go in flames, which feels like a miracle. And um, But for about an hour there, Tim and I, who were both home, could see the flames and could see the smoke and it was right next to our house. And we were fully in the moment of assuming our house was going to go. And preparing to prepare and evacuate, which would need to be on foot because our street was completely blocked with first responder vehicles. So it was about everything we could carry and put on our backs to leave, assuming everything else would go. And I had a really hard time, uh, I'll talk about this, I had a really hard time regulating my breath and my panic reaction. And um, it was a total wake up call and very scary very scary so that happened and thank goodness what everyone is okay except the classic cars but that's okay we can these things are okay to let go of there's also a real understanding and deepening into non-attachment which can be hard when we just bought a house and we have our beloved things so I'm working through that I can't say I'm totally practicing it but it's something I'm aware of right like what really matters and the other thing is right now at the time of this recording, a very, very bad fire is burning just 40 miles north of me, the Kincaid Fire. At this moment, it's 25,000 acres and 5% contained, and we have friends whose homes have gone down and wineries, we have friends in the wine industry and wineries are going down and it's um, you know third year in a row of quite bad fires, which has a lot of reasons why that's happening now which really has to do with the fact that when it was colonized, many invasive grasses were introduced, including wild oats, to this land, uh, which really sucks up the moisture. It used to be quite a green and marshy, boggy land that could really be sustainable with water intake. And then you take everything else that's going on with like more intense warming and more intense winds, and it makes for harsher and harsher fire seasons for us here in California. So the smoke is coming in, coming down south from the north, and I can feel it in my throat. And so this conversation is very present for me. And I've been wanting to talk to Rachel since we became really aware of the fires in the Amazon, which are still burning. And Rachel has a lot of practice and teaching and uh, expertise in navigating this. So Rachel Alaya is a writer, facilitator, educator, and scholar helping folks engage in body awareness, ecological sentience, and experiential inquiry for personal and planetary healing. Her work seeks to bridge culture and ecology, transformative justice and spirituality, trauma resolution and storytelling, grief work and somatics. She is a powerful woman, currently living in Mexico with her beloved and her child, and has a lot to share, Uh, and I'm just really feeling, having just completed the interview with her about an hour ago, feeling really grateful for her presence and her words and her work. So um, you could listen to this and maybe feel some intensity in what we're talking about. I want to presence that. I want to name that please listen till the end. We speak for about an hour. Please listen to the end because Rachel really gets to an important point, which is uh, really inspired by the work of Adrienne Marie Brown, which has to do with as much as it's important for us to wake up and um, reassociate with the grief and the trauma and the pain that is happening on the planet right now. It is equally important to access pleasure and joy. And so she gives some, some of her practices, somatic practices of that and towards the end of the conversation. And also, uh, if you find yourself like holding your breath or experiencing panic, you can press pause and you can breathe deeply and you can sort of patch your body or ground or do do what you need to do to feel connected to the earth again. And and remember that you're alive and well and that we can have these hearts conversations because Like I talk about, there's such a tendency to plug your ears and hope someone will come to save us because it's so overwhelming and so anxiety-inducing. And so Rachel and I are talking about how we can actually uh, remobilize ourselves, re-engage our sense of resilience and our um, remembrance that we are cooperative individuals that operate far better in community and how we can navigate these times, because these times are here, this time of the Anthropocene, this time in geological history where significant human impact is like what is the dominant force of climate and of uh, what the stories will tell, the time of the Anthropocene. So I offer this conversation to you in trust that you can be with it, with me, that we can be in it together. And if you have any comments or reflections, we'd love to hear it um, on our Instagrams at Rachel Alaya, at Becca P. or at belongingpodcast.com, where all the show notes are. And Rachel mentions some really interesting authors and books, so we'll definitely put the show notes there. So uh, enjoy the conversation with Rachel. So I remember... I've like known you for a while, and then you announced this program gone. Yeah, just way I call it because has a question mark. Um, and I remember you released it right when um, I was really freaking out about the fires in the Amazon. Yeah, yeah. And just even the page for that program was a balm for my heart. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like everything's going to be okay. It was just, it was just like naming everything I was feeling. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I'm just, I really want to thank you for that. Yeah. For just like the artfulness in which you designed and um, created that program. I did not enroll in it, although I really someday would love to do that because, yeah, you really spoke to facing an uncertain future together. That's what the, Mm -hmm. the tagline is. So what I realized with my very intense uh, reaction to the Amazon fires, which are still going, is, Mm -hmm. um, oh, eco-anxiety and eco-grief. That's a thing. Yeah. And I have sort of had it low grade and it spiked. It spiked in that moment. And I've had it, it's, it's sort of kicked up before in like the last 15 years, but that one kicked up high. And then now, um, when we're recording this, fire season is full on here okay. in Northern California, and um, I just had a fire on my street t- two mm-hmm. days ago, three days ago, and it was very certain for about thirty minutes that um, the, our house was going to go, and we had to pack up and evacuate. And it was, and I didn't do great; <laughs> I really couldn't regulate very well. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting to know about myself. Yeah, and then now. Yeah. The Kincaid Fire is burning. Five percent contained. Twenty-two thousand acres, just forty miles north of me. And you said that you went to school there, and you yeah. know many people there. So this anxiety, I'm just, I'm, I'm ready to name it and talk about it. And, and was so excited that you said yes to talking to me about it. And, and this work, this work of being in the Anthropocene and in a time of mass extinction, and, and the fear that comes around it mm-hmm. and how we can get ourselves out of, you know, mobilize ourselves out of paralysis yeah, into a place of like doing something so that, you know, we we are finding our resilience through it all. Mm-hmm. So thank you for being here.
1: Yes. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: My pleasure. Um, Yeah. So I don't know where, if there's anything you want to sort of dive into, but I'm really curious about your feelings about eco-anxiety and and Mm -hmm. the grief of it that's behind it all.
1: Yes. Um, Thank you for naming what you have and for the recognition that you brought forth. It's wild, hey? Um, The times that we live in. (laughs) I think that it's there's so much power to even just being able to have common language around something, you know, just to even have a word called Mm eco-anxiety or eco-grief. There's another word that was coined by an Australian uh, philosopher and systems thinker, Glenn Albrecht, and he calls it solastalgia. And... It's this word that essentially means like nostalgia for solace in a place where we can't quite access it. And it's this word that he came up to describe this feeling of watching your home change before your eyes to where it doesn't really quite feel like home anymore. Or you you don't get the the same sense of um, safety or comfort or stability that you know home to embody. And he used it in the context of several communities that were experiencing just really intensive mining operations in Australia Hmm. and how that changed the landscape and how it, it ends up changing the inner landscape of the people who live there and who exist in these spaces. So I come about this work, my background is in environmental education, and my journeys have taken me a lot of different ways through, um, you know, sort of spirituality and eco-philosophy and studying the body and physiology and sort of Coming at it in a very systemic way to see just how just how interconnected we really are with this planet and with each other, I appreciate the language that you brought up around self regulation and the awareness that you had around your own experience this week of mm. you know this. Scary thing happening, which was that there was a fire down the street from you, and you all of a sudden were in a time crunch to, you know, grab the most necessary things and and flee, essentially. And you know, this brings up the human experience as an animal. Like, what are our defense mechanisms when we face danger and annihilation? you know? So hmm. there is a nervous system element to it. And that's that's kind of the language that we use in looking at trauma and looking at physiology of the body is like, how able are we to kind of regulate the autonomic nervous system? That's something that I'm really excited about when looking at eco-anxiety and eco-grief, but particularly the, the anxiety piece is like, All of the amazing research that's now coming out about, you know, the physiology of our bodies in the context of trauma and neurobiology and the autonomic nervous system, when you apply it to something like eco-anxiety, it makes a lot of sense, actually, that we would be anxious, you know? Right it makes sense given the context of the world we live in that we would be anxious, right? It's a reasonable reaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. So so once we are kind of able to see that and identify it and name it for ourselves even, we have a place to start to start to figure out tools to use to to be able to face an uncertain future and face an uncertain present, you know.
0: Yeah. I just need to name that there's like a helicopter above my house that might come through. And it's, I know it's checking um, electrical wires because we're in a a red flag fire warning time because it's high winds and it's really dry. Yeah. So I'm feeling like one anxious it's going to come across on the recording, but like that's real. And I'm not a perfectionist when it comes to this podcast. And two, like I'm feeling the anxiety (laughs) very intensely. And that just doesn't make it better, but also like, thank you helicopter person for checking our power lines. It's just an interesting thing. I remember back in April, I was in a circle of women that I circle with regularly. And one of them was talking very intensely and um, urgently about she talks about she frames it as the word apocalypse,
1: mm-hmm.
0: which is which is a term used uh, about this time of climate catastrophe, about this time of the Anthropocene, of mass extinction and of a dying world. And mm-hmm. I cognitively have been talking about this for years. I got my masters in this work. Like I've been so aware of all of this, But there was something that happened in my body, which is what you're talking about. And it's almost like I'm embodying. This knowledge only recently, yeah. and I actually wonder if the f- past three years of catastrophic fires in California have done that for me, where it I was almost dissociated for so long, yeah. And maybe I just wonder if that the part of me just felt unsafe to fully feel it, because in that circle when she um, was talking about it, I felt such fear, and in my mind I was like, please shut up, just shut up, don't talk about it, yeah, yeah, please don't talk about it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. And I, you know, I just sort of watched myself do that. I was like, oh, Becca, whoa. Um, And I even started crying and said, all I could say was, I'm scared.
1: Yeah.
0: And everyone looked at me and said, yeah, I know, me too.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I I wonder about that. What am I wondering here? I'm wondering um, how many people are just shutting off because it's too scary to feel. Yeah. And then the, the feeling of it and like the sort of courage it takes to feel it. Mm. And then what do we do with that? Because I feel like I know things and I have mm-hmm. practices, you know, and, I, and I'm still like I – maybe it's because of the part of the world I'm in right now, but I, I really do – I need to talk about it and I need to move through it or like it could take me down mm. this fear.
1: Yeah. So because I'm feeling it in my body, I just want to name like if there's anyone listening to this and they're like, whoa, this is really way too much. You know, this is really intense. It starts as sensations in the body. Right. And that's something that you just said. And I would just want to reiterate that like a lot of the story that we have about just what we're perceiving like arises from a message from our bodies and our bodies are constantly, you know, tracking our internal and external environment for cues of, of safety and connection, but also cues of danger and cues of even an annihilation. And in many ways, this is an unconscious process that the body just does to keep us safe and alive. And, you know, when I heard you ex- describing your own sort of dissociation, I started thinking of the fact that, you know, we we exist in a traumatizing culture. Industrial growth society mm-hmm. is, is traumatic, you know, for some of us much more than others. But everyone on a certain level is like, almost programmed to be desensitized to um, a certain level of ecocide, essentially. Hmm. And this process or this, this coping mechanism of dissociation, we're, 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 we're coming out of almost this, this freeze state, many of us. and, Coming back into like our sympathetic nervous system, our fight flight response, which is actually a process that if you if you look at the nervous system, if you look at the the neurology of it and the physiology of our animal bodies, um, our reptilian brain, the one that is responsible for deep states of of freeze and dissociation responses like we have to move into our fight or flight in order to get back into a place of social engagement and connection. So Mm. there's this activation that we feel in our bodies, this anxiety um, and we're, we get kind of stuck there. And our brains are amazing tools and, you know, our intellect is, you know incredible as as human beings but sometimes it can actually get the best of us and one of the things that i was actually thinking about as you were describing your experience was how much i use because of my own lived experience how much i use my intellect and you know theories and academia and knowledge to actually keep me from dropping into and feeling the fullness of what's going on actually. Oof, right? So, you know, we can talk theory till we're blue in the face and I keep getting this message is like, you know, I'm I'm, I'm teaching this program right now and I really want to share like all of the the facts and give the information and I'm just realizing like, man, the more information that we have it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to be able to be resilient and responsive. Mm. Yeah, like, we can learn till we're blue in the face, but if we don't actually relate to what we're talking about, or if we don't actually embody it, you know, if we don't whew, bring it down to like the level of grief, really. Mm-hmm. Like I – that feels really present for me right now is like how much space am I willing to make in my life for this grief? Because personally when I dig underneath my anxiety, it's this profound sense of loss.
0: Yeah.
1: And – the activation is helpful in that it brings us out of dissociation. It wakes us up to what's going on. You know, you you spoke earlier about being so anxious about the fires, about the Amazon fires that were happening and are still happening. And then you look at how it's reflected in even just our, our social ecology, too. You know, all of the um, uprisings currently happening, and the mm-hmm. power getting shutting off. like, you know, y- you mentioned where, you know, you have, like a couple hours today before they shut your power off for right. preventative mm-hmm. measures. Well, like, we think of end times as like this big, you know, apocalyptic event. But oftentimes it collapse just looks like this, you know, it looks like uprisings happening all over the globe at the same time where we're not actually maybe necessarily connected to those things but we can see it we can feel it in our bodies we can see it in in fractals in so many different places and the activation of our nervous systems we have to figure out and channel and You know, there's this idea in trauma resolution that by allowing ourselves to complete the biological survival loop, it brings us out of a traumatized state, you Mm -hmm. know, because trauma isn't necessarily the, the thing that has happened to you, but is, you know, how the system adapted to respond to that. And when you look at just all of the ways in which we resource even a sense of belonging in industrial growth culture, you see it as inherently divorced from like all of the natural rhythms and cycles that we exist within, yeah, and that exist within us. So mm-hmm. finding ways to like work with our bodies and work with our nervous systems and figure out ways to come into our social engagement system as a species so that we can even like think clearly, you know, yeah. when when crisis happens. We're building our capacity to be with what, what is and what is happening. And it's not to say, that that we're doing that so that we can, you know, just be comfortable and exist in the the business as usual of status quo but to be able to face and shape the future together. Yeah. Ooh.
0: Yeah, there's something I'm just getting pinged listening to you and feeling like the collective and in my own individual experience, like we aren't trained <laughs> in our society. We aren't, it isn't modeled. No. And um, if anything, like the story of capitalism and patriarchy is like, someone will come to save us. Yeah. Some, you know, white man on a white horse <laughs> will come to save us. Right. Yeah. Um, Like that's like the whole Jesus thing. <laughs> and so yeah. I, I, I um I notice that in myself a little bit of of that it, it's very disempowering actually
1: mm-hmm. to be
0: to be like um, will someone just save us will some like rich man like buy like a carbon offset program or like will someone just do something mm-hmm. and and I wonder like how many people are listening right now and feeling that sense of helplessness and then feeling frustrated and scared by that sense of helplessness which keeps us paralyzed, immobilized, frozen. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: I guess I'd I'd love to dive in even more deeply to to self-regulation, to regulating the autonomic nervous system. Like how can we, instead of like shutting our eyes and and putting our hands over our ears and saying like, shut up, shut up, shut up. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. What are things we can do when we start feeling these things, when we start reading the headlines, when we see that the Amazon is burning, when we see that the Hawaiian people are fighting for their sacred mountain, when we when we see that the oil spills are, you know, covering turtles in sludge, when we see these things that are happening, when like my power gets shut off, like what can we do? Cause I will just say a little bit about Um, just to like give words to my nervous system. Mm. When my next door neighbor's house was burning three days ago and Tim, my beloved looked at me and was like, let's go. It's time. Mm. And I was like, you're right. I got really dizzy and couldn't regulate my breath Mm -hmm. and texted girlfriends and said like, can you breathe for me? Can you breathe with me? I need to be able to face what comes next. And I got some texts back and I, that got a little better. But I was still disappointed in myself, which is an interesting critical vibe that mm-hmm. i couldn't I couldn't react better.
1: Mm-hmm. So, yeah, all that. What do you
0: think? Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's a really beautiful example that you used because it was like you reaching out to your girlfriends was an attempt to co-regulate, which is what our bodies do when we can't access self-regulation. Like mm. we are inherently social creatures. And guess what? We don't live with a lot of people anymore. We live in nuclear family unit sized homes, which is like the model for capitalism, right? The model right. for cis heteropatriarchy, the model for white supremacy is to like divide and isolate. And our bodies didn't evolve to exist in these ways you know our bodies evolved together our bodies evolved to cooperate and to watch watch out for each other's backs and be in relationship with and so in many ways you know i think it's i i just it's the perfect example that you use like find anchors find anchors and find community to regulate with because on one hand, you know, you have your personal practices, and I know that you do, and I know that I do. And yet when these things happen, they are disorienting, They are um, confusing, they are terrifying. you know, And we do our practices not necessarily, well, we do them for the, these moments, you know, and they're it's gonna be imperfect and messy and we're going to think god you know why aren't my <laughs> why are my practices helping me you know and yeah. and it's like oh i wasn't ever meant to do this alone <sighs> i wasn't ever meant to do this alone and your body knows that too hmm. and so co-regulation i think is just as important if not maybe more during these times because we've been so taught to perceive ourselves as these hyper individuals. Mm -hmm. So that's what initially comes up when I, when I hear your story. And I also think about how unprepared we just are, you know, (laughs) like really how we think, oh, well it won't happen to me. And, and this coming from like a, a, a beautiful place, but also like a place steeped in in just the privilege of not ever having to deal with something like this, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. So I have a, a friend of mine who I went to high school with, who's a couple of years older than me, but we became closer later on after high school. I went to high school on Maui, Maui, Hawaii, and that's where she lives. And they about a year and a half ago, maybe a little more than a year ago, they had a missile warning oh, right. that basically t- went all- out to everyone's phone saying, like, you have 20 minutes to duck and cover because, like, a nuclear missile is coming. And it, and they said this is not a drill. It, it ended up being a drill. But in that moment, you get that message. Everyone was running around like chickens with their heads cut off. You know, it was like this mass panic. And she in that moment was like, whoa. You know, like among other things, in retrospect, she thought I was really unprepared for that moment. Like I had nothing put in bags. I had no flashlights. Like, you know, in her head, she was thinking I – I live in this really comfortable bubble, and i and I need to needed to get snapped out of it in a way. And so it was really uncomfortable and it was really shocking and overwhelming in so many ways. but it also like invited her into a participation with, you know, like, this is potentially the new normal. And what would it mean to have things prepared and have a plan?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that requires us like knowing our bioregions, knowing what's the, you know, what's the risk here? You know, it could be something like a fire. You know, where I live, we just had a massive tropical storm that was really devastating.
0: Yeah.
1: It could be a missile drill or not a drill. It could be a number of different things. And to live with like the – The conditions of just danger being possible all the time, it takes a toll on the nervous system, but it also asks asks us to, to know, to know ourselves, to know what's going on around us, to track the changes going on around us, to plan and prepare for what might happen And that actually having that plan and that preparation can in a top-down way, because we've been talking a lot about bottom-up, like using and working with the body. And we can talk about that a little bit more, but also having like top-down tools, which is like, okay, I have a plan when X, Y, or Z happens. I have a bag packed. I have like my most important documents that are copied. I have, you know, and my friend who I described to you, she, she came up with a really extensive plan and mm-hmm. she started teaching that to her community. She started holding like community preparedness workshops so to, connect with others to say you know like this this thing happened it was really it was really traumatizing actually for our community thankfully it it wasn't it was a drill thankfully it wasn't real this time but you know let's use this as an opportunity this this crisis let's let's take it and figure out what we're going to do when it's not a drill
0: yeah yeah and that's like in this vein of cooperation and co-regulation like get, like how many of us are really talking to our neighbors? Exactly. Like really talking to our neighbors. Like I will tell you in the last week, me and our my neighbors are tight. Right? And we, and I was struggling. I moved here a year ago and I was struggling. I remember I dropped off a beeswax candle and like introducing pictures of Tim and I. And I was like, hello, I'd love to meet you. And like three of 20 neighbors Texted me and was like, right. "Oh, hey, got your thing? You know, we're so busy. Yeah. I've been so busy. Yeah, maybe we'll hang out. Let's have a glass of wine, whatever." Oh, right. after this fire scare, we are like, we're having a meeting and we're hugging each other and we're checking on mm-hmm. each. We're texting about the power outage. Like, wow, yeah. it feels really good. But I think, yeah, I think this this part about preparation means all of us prepared together because we can't do this alone, right? That's what you said. No, we got to be able to, we no. the only way to navigate anything that happens is we do it together.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, s- self-sufficiency really is such a myth in so many ways. And it's mm. it's interesting to think about because, you know, if you think about sort of preparedness or, you know, survival and all of that, we have this we're carrying like a dominant cultural story that's very influenced by, by narratives that were created by people like Charles Darwin or these sort of like, Mm. you know, Rene Descartes and these these ways of like picking apart our world and making it very mechanistic and compartmentalized and um, survival of the fittest and um, it's actually really interesting. The more I started to read Dar- Darwin's work a little bit more, the more I realized, like, man, they really misunderstood what this guy was trying to say, you know? Mm. Like, he was known for this idea of evolution and the survival of the fittest, and and yet when you read between the lines, there's so much more there than just the, the s- stronger, better, faster, more model of which individual is the most resilient. But being that we evolved, we co-evolved, there is a recognition that doing this in the company of others, doing this work in community, being witnessed in our vulnerability in many ways, it brings up a lot of stuff. <laughs> it brings up a lot. And I mentioned earlier, you know, that industrial growth society, to me, is really like a a trauma culture. And what does that mean? Well, it means that just existing within this culture has effects on my nervous system and has effects on the story that I carry. Hmm. There's a brilliant book called The Polyvagal Theory in Therapy by this clinical psychologist, Deb Dana. And she says that story follows state. So what she meant by that is the, the dominant narrative that we hold as we move through the world or that we perceive the world through this lens is affected by our our physiological state. So if our bodies tell us constantly that we're in danger, or if we don't have the support that we need as a human being, if we don't have opportunities to co-regulate with other people, if we're actually having our basic needs Denied to us or held hostage for profit. All of these things that are so deeply normalized in dominant Western culture and in industrial growth society over time and over generations can allow for our sort of window of tolerance of our collective nervous systems to be way off. Hmm. And so the more that I've sort of learned about how trauma works in the body, the more I see it in myself and the more I learn about approaching these problems and these issues from a systems perspective, the more you just see the thread weaving itself in all aspects of human life is like this This sort of disintegration in many ways, this this denial of our human animal instincts Hmm. and the conditions that we've created for ourselves to live in are so beyond what our physiology actually needs to feel safe and secure.
0: Hmm. Can you briefly um, define what
1: systems thinking means?
0: people
1: who don't know. Sure. So I am trained to facilitate a framework called The Work That Reconnects. And this framework was pioneered by a woman who I consider to be my teacher, Joanna Macy. Hmm. She herself is a systems thinker, a systems uh, teacher and i think she might even have her phd like in in systems theory so this think this this sort of uh, philosophy or this way of seeing really like the grandfather of systems theory calls it that or defined it as that like it's just a, a different way of seeing you know mm-hmm. so we're we're acculturated into or we're trained, we're programmed to see the world and ourselves a certain way. And that is very uh, mechanistic. So if you contrast that with a sort of systems way of thinking, you see instead that everything is interwoven, interdependent, interconnected. Mm -hmm. And there are certain um, characteristics that reveal themselves when you begin to observe systems. And you see that they are – Um, self-regulating, self-organizing. That is that the system itself um, organizes and regulates itself. You see that there are, you know, different feedback loops happening. So you have emergent properties that are being created through the sort of positive feedback loop of Th- more of th- something happening, happening more, happening more. And mm-hmm. then you also have negative feedback, which is like there's checks and balances. You know, there's a process of checks and balances. So these working together sort of keep and maintain a, a certain dynamic homeostasis so that there's not endless growth or there's not complete destruction you know you have this sort of balance balancing act happening within mm. that system mm-hmm. and you can even think of capitalism our current dominant economic model during these end times is in itself going against that systemic idea because it's it's very sort of basic mo is endless growth mm-hmm endless unchecked growth. Well, that in a system creates the conditions for collapse, just always. Right. So what does it mean to have a system's way of thinking or a system's way of seeing? You start to see how things are connected. You start to see how Something that happens way over there is actually keeping something that that's happening over here in check, and they may may seem completely separate, and they may seem totally disconnected and totally unrelated, but actually are informing and in relationship with each other mm-hmm. so there's a few other like characteristics and qualities about systems that you know, I could talk about. Till we finish today, but essentially speaking, it's this idea of being able to see what's going on for what it is. It's not just an environmental issue, you know, climate change or ecocide. It's it's actually a, a social issue. It's an economic issue. Right. It's an indigenous rights issue. It's a social justice issue. It's a a biological and geological issue, like all of these things are all the issues, essentially. So as we start to break down barriers and ba- break down these sort of mechanistic, um, simplistic ways of, of seeing, we start to see how we might be able to reimagine the story of our time as something that's uh, divested from the story we've been handed. Mm
0: -hmm. Right. To do it in a completely different way that is unimaginable in this system, but can Mm. be imagined in a different system. And that's what systems thinking really brings up. I too have done the work that reconnects with Joanna Macy. Mm -mm.
1: Mm -hmm. I love that.
0: She's very – I remember she does a grief ritual.
1: Yes. There's lots of grief work in mm. the work that reconnects. And for me, the more the more I do this work, the more I deepen into, you know, what does it mean to be a human right now on this planet? Mm-hmm. The more I keep being called into grief and into having a deep – deep relationship with grief yeah and that's also something that we've not evolved to do alone is Mm -hmm. grieve Mm -hmm. right but that's what many of us are trying to do is i'm alone what do i do Right. George
0: Monbiot has coined this the age of loneliness. Mm-hmm. That, you know, so that we're, I talk about this so much, but it just, it's like the thing, the hook for me, which is like, yes, we have more technology and more access to each other, and yet we feel more isolated than ever before. And so you have to look at the beliefs and the narratives of our system, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have access, right. and yet we don't feel like we can be together. Um, or we forget how to be together or that we don't know, like, can we grieve collectively? And it's like, well, our ancestors did, indigenous folks know how to, like, there are ways we can return to, to truly create a new way of being post collapse, Mm. you know, however that looks and whoever's here, you know, like the grief is such a conduit, I think, And um, it took me – I fought it. I fought it for years because of the discomfort of it. But it's it's truly been a tool for liberation, I have to say. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The grief just – it's almost like learning how to live with the tremendous abundance we have right now too because – that's something that, you know, Joanna Macy teaches is like, our grief is there because we, we need each other. Our grief is there because we deeply love and appreciate. And, you know, something, something came up for me as you were describing your own experience with this grief and sort of coming, t- like learning how to come together and be together in our grief. And that is that Not we don't always feel safe with each other, right. you know, and that makes it really difficult to grieve together. And that makes it difficult to do anything together, you know, because our systems have actually grown and evolved to feel unsafe with each other. Yeah. And what does that mean? You know, I've I've thought about this a lot. Like I I was listening to Peter Levine's Healing Trauma on audiobook and he wrote well, said, wrote <laughs> same same. The human body actually physiologically does not feel safe alone. Like the autonomic nervous system doesn't feel completely safe when it's alone and that really struck me because I had I guess I'm just realizing like how sometimes I only feel safe when I'm alone Hmm. like what does that mean and I started to think about it and and put it into the context of my own lived experience and ah well that makes sense
0: Right, because
1: of, of the trauma. I, right. It makes sense that I don't feel safe with other people. Hmm. But what does that mean in terms of being fully human and actually like evolving with humanity and honoring our instincts as human beings and human animals?
0: Hmm.
1: Like learning how to be together again and feel okay, right. and that's really hard. Like we can just we can say it and it sounds nice, yeah, but having our bodies actually unconsciously receive the message that everything's okay when we're with other people like that's that's work, uh, yes. It's tremendous work. Yeah. And it's sort of
0: like what we are saying in the beginning, like cognitively, I know that we are social creatures and cognitively, I know that I've, I've read enough and I have seen enough. And like, I remember right. like my cellular memory craves the village. Right. And yeah, there are moments where I'm in a group and I'm like, nope, nope, no, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's... Yeah. Yeah, that's a journey right there that we've all got to walk. And it's different for each of us, you know? I just think about family trauma and I think about the trauma of war, the trauma of religion, like, dang. Yeah.
1: I mean, like I was saying before, it's like we – even just using that word, you know, trauma, like in the beginning of my own journey around, like, unraveling and resolving my own trauma it was like there was thoughts of like well i didn't really go through anything that terrible or m- maybe the 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 thought is like i there's so many more people who have it you know much worse than than i do like i'm very very privileged in this world so you know who am i to claim that experience mm-hmm. And again, the more that I started to really see in a systems way what was going on, the more I could see, ah, okay. So even just being a human trying to exist within these systems brings me away from my my humanity, mm-hmm. thus is traumatizing. Because trauma is the sort of violation of humanity. Mm -hmm. And so what does it mean to create the conditions to where we can learn to coexist? Like not learn how to agree all the time. (laughs) Not learn how to like just feel good all the time. You know, like, no, like actually – Being able to coexist with not only just the other human beings in my vicinity, but the, you know, more than human world. Right. With all beings. And if we do it too quickly, if we do it in a way that's forceful or in a way that goes along with the current MO, like we take our system into even more dysregulated states often. Mhm. So we see this like gen- general sense of like urgency, we have to do something. We have to and and what that does for us is it it can um actually make it more difficult. Mhm.
0: So it's about pacing.
1: I mean, if you look at deep time, right, which is something that the work that reconnects does a lot with is like okay, like what what timelines are we working on here? Mm -hmm. What is our perception of time that is deeply influenced by the culture that we exist in? Mm -hmm. Yes. So yeah, pacing, pacing is interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm using a lot of like um, really beautiful somatic exercises lately, you know, like Pendulation and titration are some of them mm. that come out of the framework of somatic experiencing. So pendulation being this, um, this rhythmic practice of learning how to like sit with the distress just enough to where we get a taste, but not to overwhelm the system. And then, sort of going back and forth between that space and a space of comfort, ease, or even just neutrality, if 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 like safeness is not accessible. And and actually, you know, making it a regular practice to like hold the tension of of both, and be able to hold that in my body. You know, what are the sensations of pleasure and ease and comfort that i have ex- available to me in my body right now and also you know where is the tension where is the the distress or the feelings of panic or unease in my body mm. and titration being the idea that if you put for instance baking soda and hydrogen peroxide together really fast it blows up in your face But if you mix them together very slowly, if you titrate them, Mm. they create water, which is a life-giving substance. So you think about, oh, okay, so like learning how to and creating like regular practices for yourself that are reprogramming the system to be able to hold more. That's my work right now. And the work of being able to, you know, in Marion Wood, Woodman's terms, like hold the tension of the opposites in that way. So that the the pleasure and the beauty and the ecstasy of being alive are regular practices as much as, you know, holding space for the the difficult and the dark and the the shadow and the distress and the chaos. Mm. I'm so glad you mentioned that uh,
0: because I was like, I wrote down on my notes like, how can we find joy and pleasure when this is happening? And it's right. And I love how you, as much as you're letting in to your system, the feelings of like. Collapse and grief, and the direness of what's happening. It's all you're also letting in, like, what's also true is you are alive. You know, you are alive in this time, and there's beauty, and there's love, and there's sex, and there's food, and there's all these, there's dance, and there's music, and there's all these things that are here for you, you know, and to equally receive them into your system. That is beautiful
1: practice. I'm very inspired by that. Someone I look to look up to deeply around this subject is Adrienne Marie Brown. Yeah, I was just thinking about her book. Yeah. So she wrote a book recently, Pleasure Activism, and something that we were talking about earlier about like reimagining a new new story. Something that I remember her sharing, I think it was in her other book, Emergent Strategies, mm-hmm. that she said this, but it was um, something she learned from her teacher. And that was that to reimagine a different story for us as human beings is kind of science fiction. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you're, you're imagining new worlds, You're creating something that hasn't yet existed, and at the same time, what Adrienne Marie Brown teaches, and she took this from the work of Audre Lorde, and it's like, well, in order to do that, we we are it would behoove us (laughs) to make then this process like as pleasurable as possible. Mm Hmm. So. Shame can be effective, but it's certainly not sustainable. And it's definitely not in alignment with my own values.
0: Yeah.
1: Because we can go about this work of like social change, just shaming ourselves and everyone. And that might work for a while. Yeah, it might. But if we're able to actually tap into this idea that I learned when I was – teaching outdoor environmental education to kids. And that is like the places and the bioregions that we live in won't be here for our kids if we don't teach them how to love the places that they live. Like if there's no love, there's if there's no attachment there, there's not going to be any desire for stewarding or protecting these places or these practices for the future. Mm. So I haven't really seen any effective ways to instill attachment or love through shame. No. <laughs> I would I would be very surprised if someone came forward after listening to this podcast and they were like, "Actually, um Because most of us experience healthy attachment and we experience, you know, the desire to protect and to safeguard and to love and to cherish and to reciprocate from a place in our bodies that feels connected and feels tapped in and feels feels pleasure, feels joy, feels appreciation, feels grace. And that's mm-hmm. not to say that this is is like a an ideal place to exist all the time, but it is an, an essential part of our experience as human animals, I think, in these times of facing these uncertain presents and futures.
0: Yeah, to let in the pleasure and the joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I really want to work on that more. Just listening to you. I'm like, I really, Oof. I really, and like my challenge to myself right now is like, as I'm talking to you and seeing the smoke just billow into my valley and the, the hue of the sun getting more and more orange, you know, like that sort of burnt orange from smoke Yeah, is, is like how in these next few days, you know, as we navigate power shut off and and fire can i access pleasure and joy that's my question
1: to myself right because the thing is too and this just came into my head is that like if you're if you're just trying to survive or if you're in a crisis if you don't feel safe if you're actually in danger which a lot of human beings are on the planet right now Mm -hmm. that's that's the lived reality and that like is your lived reality right now is like okay there's a fire like my spidey senses you know are Mm -hmm. my body is telling me that i don't feel very safe right now and that makes pleasure almost like impossible to access in many Mm -hmm. ways Mm -hmm. because your body is just trying to survive you're Mm -hmm. in survival mode you're not in, you know, enjoyment and thriving mode. You don't necessarily have the access to that, but there are there are ways that human beings for time immemorial have connected to a sense of meaning through that. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a lot of them already on this call. You know, rhythming our bodies, music, art, dance poetry these are things that invited our participation with deep presence through hard times right and I think about the fact that even though we're we go through difficulties life goes on mm-hmm. like what a miracle mm-hmm it's way bigger than me. Right. Hmm. Wow. (sighs) Thank you so much for your words and your time. Absolutely. Thank you for inviting me into the space and for having this conversation. I'm very grateful.
0: Yeah, I am want to keep going with you. I feel like there's more to share, so I'd love to dive deeper in a future episode with you because I think there's more here for folks, definitely. Also, I will say a little piece of joy I'm also having is there's a squirrel outside my window Mm. that is very happily gathering all these like acorns and nuts that are falling from these trees that surround me. And I could tell that this squirrel is like loving life, gathering all these acorns and nuts and like moving quick and like stuffing his little cheeks. And like <laughs> abundance is happening for this little guy. So I'm, I'm going to mm. name that because I might mm. keep finding myself looking, listening to your words and looking at him and being like, okay, life is yeah. here. Life is here yeah yeah mm. yes okay also thank you to the roosters behind you they have been oh, sweetly yeah. singing to us
1: <laughs> i was just gonna say like no matter what the roosters still <laughs> grows <laughs> right like there's life going that, on <laughs> yeah that is life going on like for real <laughs> yeah oh awesome thank you again so much rachel absolutely.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I know your time is sacred and I hope this episode infused some inspiration and meaning into your day for show notes, links, and references from this episode. You can go to belongingpodcast.com. Also be sure to subscribe to belonging on Apple podcasts. And if you have a moment, leave a review. This helps my little podcast reach more listeners and I would be ever so grateful.